Our Old Testament lesson this morning is Psalm 47, verses 1 through 9. We found on page 455 in your Pew Bibles or 884 in the large print. Psalm 47, verses 1 through 9. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for this time and this place where we can gather together. We can hear your word read and proclaimed. God, we know that both the preaching of your word and the hearing it rightly are tasks bigger than any of us can do well on our own. So Lord, we ask for you. We ask for you to speak through me today. We ask for you to give us all ears to hear, to listen to what you are saying through your word. God, that we would know what it means to depend on you in everything and to live with you as your people through Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God has ascended amid shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Our New Testament lesson, Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 53. At the very end of the book of Luke. Luke 24, starting, starting verse 44. It's after Jesus had been raised from the dead, he's with his disciples. As he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple. Praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I kind of wish our Bibles were in a little bit different order. Put the books in there. Um, 
because what we just read is the end of part one of the two books that Luke authored. The book of Luke and then the book of Acts. And unfortunately, the way that our Bibles are laid out, we have the book of John stuck right in between there. So it's not very often that people will read straight through from Luke and then go right into Acts, but I highly recommend it. Because they are two parts of a set. The part one, part two. And it's not just because sequels were as popular back then as they are now. That's not the case. Now people crank out sequels all the time because, well, you like the first one, we'll throw something together and see if you'll pay money for that. That's not what John was, or what Luke was doing here. Luke is telling two parts of uh, the story. Part one, part two. And here's how he begins part two. This is Acts chapter one, verses one through 11. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is how Luke begins part two. Part one, as he says here, was everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. So what is part two? It's everything that Jesus continued to do and to teach through his disciples, through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what you see in the rest of the book of Acts. And so uh, they go together as a set of what Jesus began to do and to teach and what he continues to do. In other words, the story didn't end when Jesus died on the cross. And it didn't even end when he was raised from the dead. But it's a story that continues after that, and one that continues even today, and will go on forever. So he gives uh, this as his beginning. This is what's going on with Jesus. And yet, we find the disciples having been with Jesus for three years, having heard him teach, having seen his miracles, the ways that he taught all about the kingdom of God before he went to the cross, and they totally misunderstood it. And then now, over a period of 40 days, where he has to continually convince them that he's alive because it's just too good to be true, and they can't possibly fit that into what they've always thought, 
was going to be the case. And so again and again, he comes to them, many convincing proofs that he's alive. Okay, so finally they get that part. But over this time, he's still teaching them about the kingdom of God. And still they miss it. Gives us some hope, right? Still they miss it. He mentions the um, few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they gather around and they say, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is not the question that he was interested in answering. That was not for them to know. We're good at asking questions that are none of our business. (laughs) But Jesus, thankfully, doesn't just say, none of your business. (laughs) But he says, let me tell you what is your business. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. And in fact, the church has wasted a good deal of time trying to do exactly what Jesus said not to do and figure out the times and the dates that the Father has said. But he says, here's what it is for you to do. He says, know that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here's uh, a couple things about that briefly. One, you can see from your bulletin cover, right up there. what Jesus is describing here as far as a, uh, these place names, Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, is going out. So starting in Jerusalem and then going out from there. And so this is the plan, is this message is going to go out to the whole world and it's going to start right here in Jerusalem. In fact, where they were when this is happening is on the Mount of Olives where you can see uh, the Temple Mount just right across the valley from there. And it is makes a lot of sense that the disciples would have asked about restoring the kingdom to Israel because they would have been looking at the same part of the city that Jesus rode into on the donkey on Palm Sunday. Okay, sure. That time maybe didn't go so well. But you went into the city, they killed you, But death didn't stop you. Now you're alive again. And now we can go in with power. And he said, no, 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 that's not how this works. There's there's power. But it's not me going into the city and taking over that way. It is you starting in the city. This Holy Spirit coming to you and going out from there into the whole world to share this message of the king who is now on the throne. It's a different message. And it's plan of going out is a plan of being witnesses, of sharing what they've seen and what they've heard and what they know to be the case because of what they have experienced personally. And so they're not going out with their own neat ideas of here's how I think you should live. They're going out with a message of Jesus died and was raised again. Jesus is the king that God had promised he was going to send from all those years ago. And he sent him, and he came, and we killed him. And God raised him up again, showing that he is this king. Here's the way. Let me tell you the things he taught. Let me tell you the, thing, the ways that he lived and how it all works together. Jesus is the message, and this is what they are testifying to as they go out. But, this is a big job, and they're just a handful of disciples. 
last Sunday, we were actually at a church in northern Oklahoma. And, um, sorry kids, you're going to hear this one again. Um, <laughs> when, we, when we left there, conversations in the car, uh, driving away. I don't know if you ever do that when you drive away from here. But um, driving away, we, uh, we had conversations. There was a deacon who shared, and this, I don't mean anything bad about him as I say this, because I think he said it in all um, well-meaning. Um, but as a part of giving announcements and prayer, he said you know, that he was reminded that um, of something his mom always told him, which is that God never gives us more than we can handle. Now, first of all, I do think he meant that well, and I think a lot of times when Christians use that, uh, that phrase, they mean it well, as in, uh, if God's led you to it, he's going to get you through it, that sort of idea. But that's not how it sounds. It sounds like what is being said is whatever situation you're in, God knows that you on your own are strong enough to deal with it, apart from him. I really hope nobody ever means that, but that is how it sounds. So I'm going to beg you all, let us please stop saying that. Um, Because as you look at the biblical evidence, it's exactly opposite to what we see as the case throughout, as God is constantly giving people way more than they can handle on purpose as a way of showing them this is about me, not about you. It's about what I can handle. And so it's not he, will give you, he won't give you any more than you can handle. It's he'll never give you more than he can handle. And that's very different. And so you see the people in, uh, coming out of Egypt, and he leads them right to the edge of the Red Sea where he knows that they're going to be trapped. Why does he do that? So they'll know. It's not that they were just the most clever and that they were the strongest and they were the... No. It's that they were following him, and he gets them out. We see the same thing with uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And the disciples, are you kidding? What do we have? We got nothing. We got a few loaves of bread, a few fish. That's not going to work. Jesus says, bring it to me. And then he gives thanks. He breaks them. He gives them to the disciples who give them to the people. And they're able to do exactly what he told them to do. Not in their own strength, but in his. Shortly after this, we see Peter walking on the water. Not because Peter said, hey, you know what? I think I want to walk on the water. And he goes out, and I saw Jesus do it. I bet it's I got the technique down. No. He's in the boat. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Because he knows that if Jesus doesn't tell him to do it, he's not going to be able to do it. Not on his own. But when Jesus says, come, Peter can walk to him on the water. And that, by the way, I think is one of the best uh, images of what it means to live as a Christian. It's the walking on the water, because it's something that we all know, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> Unless there's something supernatural at work. And that's what it's like to live as a Christian. And this is what we have with the disciples here, who you have these 11 men on the Mount of Olives, just outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, you are the ones who are going to take this message about me, to the whole world. Well, I guess we better get at it. No. He says, actually, don't start now. Because the most important thing for you to do is to wait on me. 
go into Jerusalem. Don't start this job until you have received the Holy Spirit. This takes us right back to what uh, Jesus says in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But there's this constantly giving jobs to his people, calling them to do things that are way too big. This is another one of those. But then, he doesn't just say, this is way too big for you, and now you're going to get frustrated and stop. But it's a way of learning what it means to depend on him and to walk with him and to live in his strength, not our own. So, do we all need to go to Jerusalem now? Is that the application? Don't, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. So everybody, let's pack up, head to Jerusalem. We'll camp out there. No. Not all of these things are directly relatable. But we do have the same job. We are those who, as disciples of Jesus, are those who are called now to be witnesses of who he is, what he's done and what he's continuing to do, to continue to tell the world about Jesus. But it's something we can't do in our own power, something we have to do with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So here's, uh, here's what does hit us. We don't have to all go to Jerusalem. We do have to ask this question. Are we able right now to do the things that we are doing, to live the lives that we are living on the power of our own strength, on our own skills, our own natural abilities? Because if so, that ought to be a warning sign to us. That ought to be a warning sign to us that we are not living the lives that God is calling us to live because he's always calling his people to depend on him, to wait on him, to operate not in our own natural abilities and our own strength, but in his strength. And so if you are able to take your Bible and put it aside and not pray and just go through your day and day after day after day and there is no change... There should be alarms going off. Maybe you've drifted farther than you realize. Or maybe that wasn't. Or you weren't as close as you thought you were at all. So what is God calling you to do? If not the things you're currently doing. And here we have to be careful. I do not mean to find out what God is calling you to do, that you will go, all right, I'm going to go pray until, and wait until God gives me some grand vision of something impossible like walking on the water, and I'm going to go do, the, do that. The things that God is calling you to do might look differently in your life than it looks for somebody on the other side of the country, the other side of the world. But it'll be the same things. And it's the same things that God has been calling his people to do for the last 2,000 years. And it involves how we, how we live out our days, how we treat each other, and how we share the good news about who Jesus is, what he has done, 
and what he's doing. These are big jobs. Really big. Um, I'm a big fan of New Year's resolutions. One of the, I don't know if you've made any or how many of them are still active at this point. One of the things I like about it, and there are several, I'm not going to go into all of it, but one of the things I like about it is a lot of times New Year's resolutions will show us more clearly where our weaknesses and our limitations are. And so we will say to ourselves, well, if I ever just tried to do this, I'd be able to do it. And so then on New Year's comes, we say, okay, I'm going to do that. And then a week or two in, and we go, I can't do that. (laughs) G.K. Chesterton one time said that Christianity, uh, it's not that it didn't work. It's not that it doesn't work because people have tried it and found that it doesn't work or something like that. Um, He said, really, what's happened is people have found Christianity difficult because they've left it untried. A lot of times we put things off that God is calling us to do. But we, in our heads, we say, yeah, but if I were ever to do that, I'm sure I could do that on my own. Jesus says, no, you can't. But I can, and I will, and this is the promise. So come to me and walk with me and do the things that I've put before you to do, and you will experience a whole new kind of life and what it means to live as a Christian, and really as a true human in this world. And so, be his disciples. This new year, we are actually going to continue looking at this um, book of Acts and what it is that, uh, that Jesus was doing in the church then and seeing how that relates to us and what he's doing in our church and our lives now. But for this week, our challenge is simply to pray. To pray and to read and to ask the question, what are you calling me to do? And then, step out and do it. Trusting not in our own strength, but in his. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.